0: Section 164 of Complete Original Short Stories of Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. Section 164, A Humble Drama. Meetings that are unexpected constitute the charm of traveling. Who has not experienced the joy of suddenly coming across a Parisian, a college friend, or a neighbor 500 miles from home? Who has not passed a night awake in one of those small, rattling country stagecoaches, in regions where steam is still a thing unknown, beside a strange young woman of whom one has only caught a glimpse in the dim light of the lantern as she entered the carriage in front of a white house in some small country town. And the next morning, when one's head and ears feel numb with the continuous tinkling of the bells and the loud rattling of the windows, what a charming sensation it is to see your pretty neighbor open her eyes, startled, glance around her, arrange her rebellious hair with her slender fingers, adjust her hat, feel with sure hand whether her corset is still in place, her waist straight and her skirt not too wrinkled. She glances at you coldly and curiously. Then she leans back and no longer seems interested in anything but the country. In spite of yourself you watch her, and in spite of yourself you keep on thinking of her. Who is she? Whence does she come? Where is she going? In spite of yourself you spin a little romance around her. She is pretty, she seems charming, happy he who life might be delightful with her, Who knows? She is perhaps the woman of our dreams, the one suited to our disposition, the one for whom our heart calls. And how delicious even the disappointment at seeing her get out at the gate of a country house. A man stands there who is awaiting her with two children and two maids. He takes her in his arms and kisses her as he lifts her out. Then she stoops over the little ones who hold up their hands to her. She kisses them tenderly, and then they all go away together down a path. Then she stoops over the little ones who hold up their hands to her she kisses them tenderly and then they all go away together down a path while the maids catch the packages which the driver throws down to them from the coach adieu it is all over you will never see her again adieu to the young woman who has passed the night by your side you know her no more you have not spoken to her all the same you feel a little sad to see her go adieu i have had many of these souvenirs of travel some joyful and some sad once i was in auvergne tramping through these delightful French mountains that are not too high, not too steep, but friendly and familiar. I had climbed the Sunsea and entered a little inn near a pilgrim's chapel called Notre Dame de Vassiviere, when I saw a queer, ridiculous-looking old woman breakfasting alone at the end table. She was at least 70 years old, tall, skinny, and angular, and her white hair was puffed around her temples in the old-fashioned style. She was dressed like a traveling Englishwoman, in awkward queer clothing, like a person who is indifferent to dress she was eating an omelette and drinking water. Her face was peculiar, with restless eyes and the expression of one with whom fate has dealt unkindly. I watched her in spite of myself, thinking, who is she? What is the life of this woman? Why is she wandering alone through these mountains? She paid and rose to leave, drawing up over her shoulders an astonishing little shawl, the two ends of which hung over her arms. From a corner of the room she took an alpenstock, which was covered with names traced with a hot iron. Then she went out, straight, erect, with the long steps of a letter carrier who was setting out on his route. A guide was waiting for her at the door, and both went away. I watched them go down the valley, along the road marked by a line of high wooden crosses. She was taller than her companion and seemed to walk faster than he. Two hours later I was climbing the edge of the deep funnel that encloses Lake Pavan in a marvelous and enormous basin of verdure, full of trees, bushes, rocks, and flowers. This lake is so round that it seems as if the outline had been drawn with a pair of compasses so clear and blue that one might deem it a flood of azure come down from the sky, so charming that one would like to live in a hut on the wooded slope which dominates the crater, where the cold still water is sleeping. The English woman was standing there like a statue, gazing down upon the transparent sheet in the dead volcano. She was straining her eyes to penetrate below the surface down to the unknown depths, where monstrous trout which have devoured all the other fish are said to live. As I was passing close by her, it seemed to me that two big tears were brimming in her eyes. But she departed at a great pace to rejoin her guide, who had stayed behind in an inn at the foot of the path leading to the lake. I did not see her again that day. The next day at nightfall I came to the Chateau of Mural. The old fortress, an enormous tower standing on a peak in the midst of a large valley, where three valleys intersect, rears its brown, uneven, cracked surface into the sky. It is round from its large circular base to the crumbling turrets on its pinnacles it astonishes the eye more than any other ruin by its simple mass its majesty its grave and imposing air of antiquity it stands there alone high as a mountain a dead queen but still the queen of the valley stretched out beneath it you go up by a slope planted with firs then you enter a narrow gate and stop at the foot of the walls in the first enclosure in full view of the entire country inside there are ruined halls crumbling stairways unknown cavities dungeons walls cut through in the middle vaulted roofs held up one knows not how and a mass of stones and crevices, overgrown with grass, where animals glide in and out. I was exploring this ruin alone. Suddenly I perceived behind, a bit of wall, a being, a kind of phantom, like a spirit of this ancient and crumbling habitation. I was taken aback with surprise, almost with fear, when I recognized the old lady whom I had seen twice. She was weeping with big tears in her eyes, and held her handkerchief in her hand. I turned around to go away, when she spoke to me, apparently ashamed to have been surprised in her grief. "'Yes, monsieur, I am crying. "'That does not happen often to me.' "'Pardon me, madame, for having disturbed you,' I stammered, confused, not knowing what to say. "'Some misfortune has doubtless come to you.' "'Yes. "'No, I am like a lost dog,' she murmured, and began to sob with her handkerchief over her eyes. Moved by these contagious tears, I took her hand, trying to calm her. Then, brusquely, she told me her history as if no longer able to bear her grief alone. "'Oh, oh, monsieur, if you knew the sorrow in which I live!' In what sorrow. Once I was happy. I have a house down there, a home. I cannot go back to it any more. I shall never go back to it again. It is too hard to bear. I have a son. It is he. It is he, children don't know. Oh, one has such a short time to live. If I should see him now I should perhaps not recognize him. How I loved him, how I loved him, even before he was born when I felt him move, and after that, how I have kissed and caressed and cherished him. If you knew how many nights I have passed in watching him sleep, and how many in thinking of him, I was crazy about him. When he was eight years old, his father sent him to boarding school. That was the end. He no longer belonged to me. Oh, heavens, he came to see me every Sunday. That was all. He went to college in Paris. Then he came only four times a year, and every time I was astonished to see how he had changed, to find him taller without having seen him grow. They stole his childhood from me, his confidence, and his love, which otherwise would not have gone away from me. They stole my joy in seeing him grow, and seeing him become a man. I saw him four times a year, think of it, and at every one of his visits his body, his eye, his movements, his voice, his laugh were no longer the same, were no longer mine. All these things change so quickly in a child, and it is so sad if one is not there to see them change, one no longer recognizes him. One year he came with down on his cheek. He, my son! I was dumbfounded, would you believe it? I hardly dared to kiss him. Was it really he, my little, little curly head of old, my dear, dear child, whom I had held in his diapers on my knee, and who had nursed at my breast with his little greedy lips? Was it he, this tall brown boy who no longer knew how to kiss me, who seemed to love me as a matter of duty, who called me mother for the sake of politeness, and who kissed me on the forehead when I felt like crushing him in my arms? My husband died, then my parents, then my two sisters. When death enters a house it seems as if he were hurrying to do his utmost so as not to have to return for a long time after that. He spares only one or two to mourn the others. I remained all alone. My tall son was then studying law. I was hoping to live and die near him, and I went to him so that we could live together. But he had fallen into the ways of young men, and he gave me to understand that I was in his way. So I left. I was wrong in doing so, but I suffered too much in feeling myself in his way, I, his mother, and I came back alone. I hardly ever saw him again. He married— What a joy! At last we should be together for good, I should have grandchildren. His wife was an Englishwoman who took a dislike to me. Why? Perhaps she thought that I loved him too much. Again I was obliged to go away, and I was alone. Yes, monsieur. Then he went to England to live with them, with his wife's parents. Do you understand? They have him. They have my son for themselves. They have stolen him from me. He writes to me once a month. At first he came to see me, but now he no longer comes. It is now four years since I saw him last, his face was wrinkled and his hair white. Was that possible? This man, my son, almost an old man? My little rosy child of old? No doubt I shall never see him again. And so I travel about all the year. I go east and west, as you see, with no companion. I am like a lost dog. Adieu, monsieur, don't stay here with me, for it hurts me to have told you all this. I went down the hill, and on turning round to glance back I saw the old woman standing on a broken wall looking out upon the mountains the long valley and lake shambon in the distance and her skirt and the queer little shawl which she wore around her thin shoulders were fluttering like a flag in the wind end of section 164 recording by tatiana chichilla columbus ohio